Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, THSC Steph, and tonight we will look back on what just happened at Villa Park between our mighty Spurs and Aston Villa, which resulted in a 2-0 win for Spurs. We're also welcoming our first ever pod guest, Barney Greenway from the glorious grindcore socio-political giants Napalm Death, and he'll be giving us the Villa perspective on the match, an opposition view of where we are right now, and possibly discussing uh, other matters, including hair and whatever other trivialities between us we can conjure. It's great to have you on, Barney, and looking forward to it. We will also look back on the pain of Zagreb from last Thursday, which will be a conversation for sure. It's a full show. Let's meet tonight's team. Hello, boys. Hello, Milo. Hello, Luke. Oh, yeah. Hello, Awesome. Oh, yeah. I do want to say, first of all, we need to address something that's very important that happened earlier in the week. It is the incident that happened at the Rangers-Slavia-Prague game. It was an incident where Kamara got racially abused, quite obviously, by a Slavia Prague player. And the uh, UEFA refused to accept responsibility, it appears. And frankly, you know, everyone on this pod agrees that this has to stop. UEFA has to make a real gesture. They have to do something. There have to be serious consequences. This cannot be allowed to go on, either on football pitches, on social media, anywhere. It cannot be allowed to happen. There must be zero tolerance of racism. Quickly, lads, uh, any any thoughts and, uh, you know, any thoughts on what they should be doing to punish? Yeah, stuff like disqualification or removal from to- tournaments. So things which actually impact them actually make a difference UEFA have always been weak you get bigger fines for political gestures they're very very light on these things but there were some good things that we saw afterwards um, from the very depth of the bad part of humanity sometimes you see the good I thought Steven Gerrard was wonderfully unequivocal Mm. in his support of Kamara hugging him straight away and then in the old firm derby today which has its sectarian history we saw Scott Brown walk straight across before the game and give Kamara a hug and a show of support and I thought that was a wonderful touch we do make notes, as as we always say every week, and we have a show structure. I'm going to toss it out the window now. Barney, you have been a, an absolute warrior on the, the front of anti-racism for decades. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't wholly surprised, if I'm honest, as, as bad as the incident was. It just doesn't surprise me. I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that there's sort of... Um, People tend to kind of sweep this under the rug a little bit, but I guarantee you, once the terraces, once the games start going back, you will hear all this stuff still. It's never been stamped out as much as people will say that it's been significantly reduced. Some, I must say, some of the crap that I hear at Villa Park sometimes, and you, you do, and this is not the answer, but I find myself going, why am I coming here if I've got to sit and listen to this cobbler's like, you know, it, it's, it's, it gets really bad sometimes, and and to sort of suggest culturally within football stadiums that it that it has been largely eradicated is is a nonsense. Frankly, it's just not true. And and that, I know that's a really unfortunate thing to have to say, but that's that that's the reality of it. I mean, fo- football stadiums are only a, it's an obvious thing to say, but they're only a, a microcosm of what goes on outside, and it's it, it's not gone away. You know, the the initiatives that are out there, they are at the moment are are good gestures in a lot of ways, but they're not they're really not dealing with the systematic stuff underneath. It's just not being dealt with. So there's a long way to go yet. And um, yeah, I mean, and the the other thing as well is that if, if you want to politicise it or not, whenever kind of I suppose left wing influences come into stadiums, it's been very quickly kind of ushered out. Unless you're in a part of the world, say like Livorno in Italy or something like that, where it, it is 
it is very much the drive of the club. You know, if it's to, not... To, to, to be clear, when you say left-wing ushered out, you're talking about any sort of positive left, uh, influence yeah. of anti-racism is ushered yeah. out, just to clarify that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can give you an example. You know, there was a group at Villa Park sprang up three or four years ago called Brigada 1874. And usually whenever you see Brigada associated with a with a, a firm, if you want to call it that, it's it's usually from the left, you know, and this is it's quite a positive thing. But there was a lot of complaints made against them that they were too animated and various things which were just nonsensical really, you know, and they both they they were pretty much gagged you know, by the sort of the dominant forces at Villa Park, which I thought was unfortunate. They weren't doing anybody any harm, you know. In fact, they were promoting a lot of positive things, you know. So, yeah, that, that that's the way it went. I think you make the very, very good point. And I think really just to close this section off, I think it's very important that I personally feel that we would all do this. And I think I would hope that everyone who listens to this pod would do it as well. It's one by one. If you see racism around you in the street, most certainly in a football stadium as well, you need to stand up to it. You need to do something. You need to make it clear it's unacceptable to your ear space, your air space, whatever space you're in, our social space. It's unacceptable. And for me personally, I think it starts one-on-one. We, we Everyone has a responsibility mm. if this is ever going to be stamped out properly. So I, th- I think we would all agree with that. And uh, let's let's before we move on to the, the match analysis today, I'm going to switch gears completely from going to take a deep breath. Lads, the best type of cheese on a cracker <laughs> or as part of a plowman. <laughs> what is it? And seeing as you laughed, Milo, you can lead us off. Well, this is kind of my fault because you and I were talking about this earlier in the week. Did did you get your quicks in? Uh, you... I haven't been able to. I've been able to find it. No, I haven't got there yet. No, I, was, no. I thought you said you managed to find some in the Bay Area. Well, but it's been busy. I haven't actually been able to go on a cheese a cheese run between now and then, <laughs> believe it or not. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will so... get there. <laughs> Barney um, right so... now is looking very confused. Seeing, it just doesn't. How the hell did we end up at cheese? But carry on. <laughs> It's the, I think it's the biggest tonal jump we've done so far, isn't it, from racism to cheese? It is, but and that's not to trivialise, obviously, uh, uh, either either topic. But no, seriously, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's, it's going to be a bit uh, drive time, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'll go for Montgomery's cheddar as we're uh, as we were talking about that earlier in the week, and you've specified on a cracker. Okay, very good. All right, Luton. Oh, Red Leicester for me. It was just a, it was. We were always nervous about cheese coming from, like, I come from a background where my parents didn't know what UK food meant and cheese was sort of a novelty and um, cheddar was all we ever had. And then we stumbled upon Red Leicester's kids by accident and um, it became a staple of our diet. We just fucking stuck with it. And I loved it on a Jacob's Cracker, I remember growing up. And there was that theory that if you eat cheese at night, it gave you nightmares. And I used to keep trying it and I never got any nightmares. But I just got into the habit of eating cheese at night and Red Leicester was my go-to on a cracker. Awesome. Follow that. Stilton will do me with, with Branston Pickle. Wow. That is a mind blower. Stilton with Branston. Mm. Right, Your Majesty. I'm going to I'm gonna slip in uh, the fact that actually there's a cheese that comes from Australia, which I really like, called Old Croc. It's a sharp, uh, mature cheddar. It's very good. But uh, it has to be said that the best is a, a sharp Neil's Yard cheddar I like as well. 
little bit of Branston. Got to go with that. Barney, I was going to wait and ask you this question where we were officially going to introduce you later in the pod. But seeing as I decided to tear that up and throw it away, I think you should uh, please educate us in the ways of, of, of vegan cheese and explain why oh, yeah. that would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I, I actually try to avoid a lot of processed foods, you know, and the, the, the kind of mythology around vegan alternatives is that they're somehow not as processed when in fact they actually really are. It's the same thing, <laughs> but only just without milk and hopefully without soy if you're not supporting horribly destructive soy plantations. You know, I'll just put that one in there. So there's, there's one particular one um, that is actually pretty mind-blowing, which is called Applewoods. So, yeah, if you don't live in the UK, you wouldn't have seen it, but it's called Applewoods, and they specialise in the smoked cheeses. Mm. So a vegan smoked cheese is just an absolute... Well, it's that's the that's the that's the top of the summit, basically. You know, where, yeah. I'm on where, their website already. No Bob. <laughs> Fantastic. No, Fantastic. it is really good. Yeah, it's Fantastic. really good. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we go we go from the world of cheese, and thank you very much for that, Barney, because you're absolutely thank right. Uh, there is a concept of vegan cheese, and it isn't positive. So now uh, the pod world will be looking up uh, Applewood smoked vegan cheese. So very good, yeah. thank you. But we go from cheese to. Uh, to this evening's game and i mean you know i'm trying to find a clever segue did it leave us uh with a cheesy smile on our faces I- i'm not sure I- i'll open it uh by saying you know it was a very strange game to watch i felt luton would you agree with that would you agree that tonight's game was strange to watch given given the past week i think my emotions were genuinely more complex than they've ever been before a game because i i kind of thought things came to a, a culmination with the Zagreb loss and um, something needs to happen at the club. And then we've had this um, almost a walk in the park game. I know there was a bit of a period for 20, 30 minutes, but they didn't have a shot on target. And we walked a game. Um, we've played quite well. Lucas Moura looked fantastic. The guys on the pitch, Lacelso was good in the game. Um, Son's a young, a young back four. It was a really strange experience because I was kind of like, you know, if we lose this, it's probably the right thing for the club on the whole picture, because I'm very much of the mindset, Jose needs to leave and a rebuild needs to happen and it needs to happen sooner rather than later. And, and a win today would have meant papering over those cracks. I was watching it kind of happy when we scored, happy when we were winning. But um, overall in my head, I'm still thinking the club's in turmoil. We're in some shit at the moment. And is this just going to paper over it? So yeah, it was a really conflicting, weird experience for me. Um, but clearly I'm still glad we won, but it was odd. Awesome. Uh, talking about crack papering, uh, which is the uh, bit that I've zeroed in on there. That was done largely off the back of a defence that, is, to the best of my knowledge, has not played a full match together. You know, you've got Tanganga, who's come back in. Uh, I think many of us have wanted him to play. Finally, he's got this chance. Look great. Rodon, who's made one mistake, one glaring error in the games he's played and seemed to be just cast aside. Uh, discuss the platform you think that gave us for this victory today, if indeed it did. Well, I mean, God knows what combination number that is in terms of uh, central defence. Is that like 18 or 19 for the season? But it, it's ridiculous. It's just another another go at finding what's our best back for. I think it was obviously a bit of a reaction to what happened in Zagreb, both, both in terms of how we played and and energy. I thought Rodon looked very good and I think Sanchez has generally been pretty good now for the last month. He maybe had a dip against Arsenal and, you know, they all had a dip against Zagreb. But I think we can't underestimate how difficult it would have been to have lifted that team with with changes or not from that absolute clusterfuck that happened in Thursday night. I don't know whether or not Mourinho deserves credit for that or the squad deserves credit for that. But but going going away in the Premier League is never that easy. Villa, top half team this season, 
You know, it wasn't Newcastle at home. That that was an away game in the Premier League. There's no easy game. And they fucking lifted themselves and dominated a semi-decent team, albeit without Grealish. But they've been without Grealish for a while. So it's nothing new to them. Yeah, and Milo, I think I want to come to you with, I think it's very important we discuss Hoiberg again. I mean, we've discussed in previous parts how utterly vital he is to this Mm. team. He comes in today, he helps us weather what I consider to have been 25 to 30 minutes, a very awkward football. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk about him being back and also what Gio Lo Celso bought today. I think Hoiberg being suspended on Thursday yeah, him having the midweek off, you know, paid dividends today. He, he looked refreshed, whereas uh, last weekend he 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 looked uh, he was leggy. So uh, that you know that made a big difference. I thought uh, Lacelso. I thought he had a good game, a uh, good sixty minutes, which is uh, you know encouraging. He's been out for a while, so that's good. And his ability just to tuck in and, and make a three there, um, I thought really helped us. So uh, there was quite a bit of flexibility in that formation today. But uh, Lacelso's um, ability to come in and and add more numbers in the middle helped. Barney, uh, first of all, I've, I've got to just remind you of a brilliant moment that you and I shared. We've shared a couple of good football moments. So I've talked about one on this pod where it was your tour bus that actually allowed me to see Gaza's free kick against the Gooners in yeah. 1991, if you remember. Uh, yeah, so uh, once again, a public thank you for that, because yeah. <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't well, have I seen it, it for another month. Happen, you know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's right. A, a tip of the hat to Kevin North, our good friend. Yeah. Um, and the other time, of course, you and I have crossed paths was... Uh, was at a Villa a Villa Spurs match at the Lane in in '94 when, as I remember, we gave up a 90th minute winner to Dean Saunders um, yeah. in a four three loss. And uh, I don't know if you remember what you said, Kate, but we crossed paths. You were with your brother, weren't you? Yeah, my brothers are probably with me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I just remember you looking at me as you were being led away, and obviously quite buoyant and singing, looking and saying, "What the fuck happened there?" Yeah, mate, it was an epic battle that game. Well, I don't remember the details of it per se, but I just I just remember it being an exhausting experience. You know? Yeah, it was it was uh, it was the Badger, aka Jerry Francis, first game in charge for us, and we went three one down at half time, pulled back to three three uh, with like eight with like five minutes left, and then Dean Saunders stabbed the winner home. And I just remember it was a a, a bizarre match. You're right, absolutely right. But yeah, anyway, so let me bring you in a, a very simple question. Mm. Give us your view of the match from your perspective, from a Villa perspective? Yeah, I thought I thought we started out really well and it was looking quite positive. And see, I, I don't subscribe to this thing that's banded around that we're a one-man team, you know, that Grealish, if we don't have Grealish on the pitch, then we're not really capable. I think, I just don't think that's the case. Yeah, I thought we started really well. Basically, the thing we struggled with this whole match was just, as, as I we spoke beforehand on messaging, you know, our, our decision-making in and around the box was just it just was too rushed not considered the the movements off the ball were just not not good enough players almost seemed to be bunching up and like falling over each other um, and I just that that was what we we struggled with really and I think the two the two goals that we conceded were just errors of judgment you know I mean Martinez I know I think you're going to talk about signings at some point but Martinez is is up there with one of our definitely our best signings over the last few years. And it was just an untypical error from him, you know, which otherwise it's arguable that that goal wouldn't have progressed. It would, the move wouldn't have progressed the way it did if it hadn't been for that kick, you know, he scuffed it, you know, when he tried to kick it out, if you watch him, it kind of bounces scuffs along the floor a little bit. And, um, and the cash thing, you know, I mean, you know, where, where Harry Kane wasn't going anywhere, you know, he kind of fluffed his big move, you know, and, and then, Cash just brought him down with his training leg. So both goals really were just 
errors of judgment. And so, yeah, it's one of them. We haven't won a game now for a month and a bit, I think. So it's, you know, it's it's not going great, but compared to where we were last season, I mean, I've got no complaints. You know, you get you get the usual thing. You get you get a certain section of Villa fans going, oh, you know, I don't know if Dean Smith, you know, I don't know if he's really got it. It's like, hang on a minute. A month and a half ago, you were singing a completely different tune. You know, it's just you go through bad patches, you know, and this is just one of them. So, you know, I, I've got no complaints. I thought Spurs tonight were more at it than we were. And I just think, you know, it's just one of them, you know. So. Our defence looked wobbly for the first 20 minutes. You're saying you, you pressed us well then. If you got a goal at that point, then I think I think we would have crumbled. And uh, once we weathered that, I think, we you know, we pushed on. Obviously, the goal helped. But, you know, Spurs being 1-0 up, it's not very secure at the moment. So, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's just, I, I, I really like what's, um, what Smith's done at Villa. I think you're building a really good team there. Uh, I thought you had the best transfer business of anyone this summer. Um, yeah. There's a, you've got a lot of players that I admire. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, like I say, I'm really, I'm satisfied with the way things are going. It's just, um, it's just one of them nights, really. Like I say, our approach play was really good. Generally, our mid our midfield play was really good, but mm. it just in and around the box, we just rushing, panicking, you know, and rushing balls and players yeah. falling over each other more or less. And I just think that was that was really what prevented us from um, putting in the onion in the bag, as the Baron would say, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, the Baron, the Baron, yeah. the Baron. Our good friend Xavier Russell, uh, who I will now note is a giant Tottenham Hotspur supporter, and we love him for it. <laughs> Well, yeah. I do. I know Barney probably doesn't, but yeah. He, yeah. we love the Baron anyway. Yeah. Um, but but Luton, let me ask you uh, two questions. Uh, first of all, the, the prominent player on the pitch for us. And secondly, the prominent player on the pitch for Villa. Maybe maybe the player, the Villa player you would have liked to have seen in our side today. I mean, um, I'll go the player from Villa that I'd like to see in our side more than anybody. It's been Tyron Mings for a while. Even before they bought him from Bournemouth or wherever it was, um, he's a left-footed centre-back who's absolutely ferociously good in the air he's a real powerhouse he's actually quick his positional play is decent he can play out as well um i'm a huge tyron mings fan and i'm not saying coming to spurs would be a step up purely out of respect for barney but i love him i don't expect respect <laughs> <laughs> oh you do well, in fairness but, um, he's sitting there giggling because they've won a european cup so I mean, we, <laughs> yeah. have to, we have there to be honest always, there is always that <laughs> But yeah, I think he's, he's an excellent defender. And on our side, I think, I mean, it's been the last few games, Lucas Moura in that number 10 role. Mm. I thought it was wonderful that he was allowed to play in that 10 role again today. It was almost like we had him and Kane both playing in that sort of 10-ish role. Um, yeah, Moura was good. He was all over the place. He set up the goal. The commentators went on about Kane a lot for that first goal, but he did very little. Moura made, mm. did all, he did the press to win it. The final pass was excellent. And I will go... Just to go back on earlier with regards to the penalty that we won, I still think it was a fortunate penalty. I thought Kane bought it. I thought the commentator calling it cute is slightly insulting. It's, he, he's a very clever player. But that For me, that's, mm. um, that's naughty and it's shit and it's the bad side of Kane's game, which I'll never like. Awesome. Come on uh, in with the same with the same thing. Uh, you know, a player that uh, impressed you for us tonight and uh, a Villa player that you'd like to see at the club. I'll, I'll come up with a different one because everyone's sort of coming up with more and more awards man of the match. I, I think Rodon to go into that team and to play as though he'd been there for, for months, a huge positive. In terms of the best Villa player, I think, yeah, Barney, you mentioned Martinez. He's he's a great keeper. Um, I'm going to go with Watkins, though. I think Watkins is a good good young striker. And although I think Vinicius had a good game for us tonight, not just because he got the goal, but did some good defensive work. And 
I think Watkins has shown some glimpses this season that he's a hell of a young striker. Got a cannon of a shot on him. OK, a bilo. The Villa player that most caught my eye was Grealish for that tracksuit. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that is undeniable. He's just he's he's gone he's gone uh, off piste, if you will, with that, and uh, brought us to uh, a, a, well, it was a, a moment of unification before this pod started recording. We could barely trip over ourselves uh, getting the words out about uh, our thoughts on this tracksuit. Uh, well, let's just go public on it. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, and, uh, I think what really added to it was the way he was also wearing his mask on his chin. It just added the final piece for me of what was an outstandingly weird and bizarre piece of football fashion. Uh, do you think it's going to catch on? <laughs> it was magnificent and uh, more power to him. Excellent. Anyone else uh, want to come in on that? Uh... <clears throat> I mean, it looked like a giant baby onesie. But, um, yeah, that's exactly then... the point. I, I think <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a clever PR manoeuvre. I reckon they've gone, J- just do it. Just go out there and wear the most ridiculous thing you can. And <laughs> you could come up trumps. I wouldn't be surprised if after this around Birmingham you see a load of people kicking about at bus stops in like baby pajamas and stuff. <laughs> let's be honest. Jack Grealish, creative on the pitch and most certainly creative yeah. off it. It would have I mean, been. I know, you know, people always say, "Oh yeah, I know a bloke that knows him," or "I know people that know him." I mean, I do actually know people that know him, and apparently he's like, he's just like a big kid. You know, he'll he'll just mm. do stuff like that just for the hell of it, and f- fair play to him in that in that respect. That, that actually, in fairness, that tiny little glimpse of inside knowledge actually makes it, it. It kind of flips the lens on it because if he has done it a somewhat of a dare if you will or even as a a commercial statement whatever i would have to flip my opinion to to say that is actually top work yeah because it's a mini stroke of genius i must be honest (laughs) because like you say it's going to be i would imagine it's going to be everywhere tomorrow and and you know what people are like They'll, they'll kind of think it'll kind of whir around in their brains for a little bit and they'll go you know what Maybe that's not such a bad look after all. You know, you know you're, you're not wrong. That's sort of what happens. When something looks that utterly shite on first view, you usually end up talking yourself around to it. And by the end, there'll be middle-aged men thinking they can pull that off. That'll be the best bit if you see a bunch of middle-aged men waddling around the ball ring yeah. in their, in their, in their pajamas. <laughs> be fantastic. Uh, well, anyway, I, I've got to say that uh, for me, just going back to the players for a moment, I, I continue to be impressed by Davison Sanchez's turnaround. He's a real, he's proving to me that he's got balls of steel. Uh, we've talked to before about the absolute battering he's had from our fans this season mm. and from everyone. And, you know, I think this is his seventh game in a row in the Premiership uh, through some tough times, through some good times, but he remains on a consistent upward trajectory. And after a difficult first 20 minutes, I thought he, he did extremely well, I mean, consider he was the senior centre back partner tonight. I mean, that was be would have been unthinkable in December. Yeah. So hats off to him, and I'm I'm going to also agree. I I think Watkins, great player, but you know, I've also got to give a shout out to McGinn. I mean, for two million quid yeah. or whatever McGinn cost, yeah. what a bargain! Yeah. I mean, you talk about a you talk about a player who you know has full commitment, you know, doesn't leave any quarter, and whatever cliches you want to apply. I looked at him and I thought, wow, you know, you'd you'd have him in any squad. Because he's mm. he he will he will come on and he will do a job and indeed he might start and do a job as well. So I, I, I'm actually going to go for McGinn. I think because nobody's mentioned him until now. Actually, talking, can I just butt in there? Talking about ridiculous costumes. I mean, there's there's quite a thread at Villa of this because on the um, at the Boxing Day 
you know, with a train on Boxing Day or, or whenever Christmas Day afternoon or something like that. So McGinn turned up in a giant turkey suit and he's just there. <laughs> There's pictures of him in the club canteen with a straight face just sitting there with a giant rubber turkey suit on it. It's, it's, quite, it's quite good here there. I will use this as a segue to talk about a man who, for the first 30 minutes, whenever he popped up on our television screens today, looked like he was going back to Bagman uh, times uh, at Old Trafford. And I'm talking about... Uh, Jose Mourinho let's talk a little bit about what he did today in terms of team selection let's talk about whether it had an influence I'm going to start actually again Barney I'd like your view from the outside how you felt coming into this game knowing uh, where Tottenham were at knowing what Jose was uh, was was going on about in the press yeah I mean I looked at obviously looked at the record for the last <laughs> few games to you and it looked as if we could get something out of it but you know t- Tottenham's a bogey team for us I mean I forget the stat on when we last beat Spurs it's a long old time ago now you know so I, I honestly thought it was going to be even Stevens. I thought it would come away with either a, a score draw or a no score draw that, that's really what I thought was going to happen you know so But when you looked at Mourinho when you look at Mourinho what is the outside supporters perspective on Jose Mourinho at Tottenham at this moment in time? I'm not sure to be honest I mean I, I, I like his I mean me personally I like his off the cuff way of dealing with things sometimes, you know, I, I, I like him, you know, I always have liked him. This is something about him, you know, that, that's, he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem up himself to me particularly, you know, he's I find it hard to explain, you know, but it's like, I, 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 I like the bloke, you know, I always have done I kind of got time for him, you know. I, I, I kind of like him, actually, myself. Okay. He's an entertaining bastard. There's no doubt yeah. about that. <laughs> I mean, he's, the, he's a neutral fan's dream come true. And um, that's the thing about Jose. And he, he, he's, a, he's, he, he's a good-looking and well-spoken fellow when he's in the TV. So he, he is perfect for the media. What does everyone think about what Jose, Jose did today? Because I, I, I don't understand it. The rumours are that Alderweireld and um, Aurier were injured. So that accounts for some of it. And Lo Celso was back anyway. Son was suspended. So it, you know, maybe it's not quite the statement that was being, you know, is being briefed as beforehand. If you've lost Aurier and you've lost, uh, 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 you've lost Alderweireld and you've lost Son, then you know you've got three players to bring in. And Lamella. You know, yeah. So yeah, that's right. So Lamella's out as well. That's right. So you know, I think the test will be is who, who plays against Newcastle and what what happens then in terms of the, the selection today or how we played. I thought it looked like what it was, which is a team that had had one training session to get used to each other. They've never played together before. That was the first time Rodon's ever played left centre back in a four-man defence for us. And I don't think he's ever been paired with Sanchez before in a four-man defence. So, you know, I think the shakiness early on was understandable. You know, Rodon and Tananga have been in and out of the, you know, they've been in the side, but then disappear for months on end. So again, I think the kind of any shakiness there is understandable. But, you know, overall, it was a better, you know, it was a better performance despite the shakiness. The next lineup is going to be really interesting to see what he does there and, and who's in, because that'll tell us a lot more, I think. We've got, we've got a big squad of talented players. Now that we're out of Europe, Mourinho's in a situation where he's like a kid with too many toys. <laughs> No, he's not. He'll just play the same eleven every week when they're fit or, uh, or or available. He doesn't like the squad. He, he's got he's got eleven players he likes, and the rest of them he doesn't care for. But what I think it showed today is you bring someone like Rodon in, and he realises mm. he's actually got a hell of a centre back there. Tanganga's never let anyone down when he's been played. Mm-hmm. The Celso, yeah, he's been out for a long time, but he's he's a good footballer. It's hard to it's hard to leave out. So a lot of the rest of them. Yeah, I think I have to invoke here once again, and it's been a theme on pods 
this season. I have to invoke the the mental handbrake at this point. And this is going to be a real test for Jose in terms of how he approaches the rest of the season. The first 30 minutes of this game, I thought we looked scared. And I genuinely sat there thinking, you know, I think we've said it. I think several of you have said it already. Villa get a goal here. We're going to crumble. We're going to get mm-hmm. absolutely done because this, because this team is scared. They're scared to make a mistake. There are a couple of times early in the first half where we had the chance to progress forwards very quickly and we just kept on turning sideways backwards sideways backwards and playing that short safe pass sort of like better to do nothing at all than make a mistake well that's not how I I think Tottenham Hotspur should play and you know we'll get into this a little later but the big debate going forward is going to be is he actually going to you know be able to get these players to play with courage and and with spirit because we're a different side when we play with courage and spirit so today's result I don't think necessarily sits with him either that's my personal opinion I think today's result there's a lot of players out there who whether we like it or not have pride and they they do want they do want to do well for themselves first and foremost I think and also for the team and let's not be cynical there's things such as bonuses there's things such as what will happen if we don't qualify for Europe you know we have to be realistic and Mm. I think that a lot of these players uh realize that they've got reputations too and so, you know, possibly uh, what Hugo Lloris did, and we'll get into that in the, you know, in a little while, were, was, was the most important uh, aspect of today's game. Period. So that's sort of, I don't know, sort of my overview. Um, let me just bring, let me just Barney, let me switch gears a little bit. I'm going to ask you two general questions about Villa while we've got you uh, right. before we let you go. Just, you know, what has been your greatest night? As a Villa supporter, well, I mean, you couldn't, you know, it'd be a bit foolish if I didn't say European Cup final. I mean, you can't. There's nowhere to go after that, is what, there? Really? What, what, so, give us the scene. What was Young so, Greenway doing as Peter? Well, the Wee? scene is, <laughs> I'm I'm ten years, eleven years old, and my parents know that I've got homework to do. So. Everybody in North Birmingham is obviously gathered around the television set. So I'm in the kitchen doing my homework on the kitchen table because it's the only way I could get to see the TV. So my parents allowed me to do that. So hang on, your your parents made you do homework while the European Cup final was on? I had no choice. You know, what I I needed to do had to be in the next day and there was no other time to do it. May I ask what the topic was? What was your subject? Oh, I Do you remember, remember that? Oh, mate, I okay. can't. I wish I could, but I can't. Okay. But, um, so, so thing is, is that when the goal went in, you know, the off, off the shinner, you know, the, the with shinner. So I was on the kitchen tub. We got some low hanging cupboards in the kitchen. So I just, I never expected it. So I jumped in the air off the stool and smashed my head off the bottom of the cupboard and knocked myself out. I was on the floor. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not joking. I was like lying on the floor, and um, and my my brothers or my dad like basically just you know livened me up a bit and got me round, you know, and that's 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 what happened. And it was great because the side of Birmingham I'm from was in the Aston area, you know, generally, and so there were like fireworks going off, you know, there's all sorts, you know, it was such a great night, you know, and uh, brilliant, yeah, what a what the, a story, yeah, go on. yeah, and the funny, I, I just just to sort of just as another other memory from that as well I think it was a few years later Karl Heinz Rummenigge's um, biography came out and he made the most I, I thought it don't get me wrong he was an incredible footballer you know but he the bitterness in his in his, in his memories of the match he was like yeah I don't know what we did but we got beaten more or less by a team of 
plumbers, painters, and decorators, more or less. You know, it was so bitter. You know, <laughs> you got and, uh, but you know that's what you get. You know, but you love it though, don't you? Because 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 yeah. all these years later, here you are, the special guest on a Spurs pod, and you remember. You remember exactly what he said. It's those little moments that just that that, that yeah. they are also a part of football, aren't they? Absolutely. When... Can I give you one more as well? Just because Absolutely. that's Go kind of it. the yeah. obvious one. So my other one was I don't you you some of you might might remember this. So it was even though it was only the first round of the UEFA Cup and um it was 93-94, I think, and Phil King scored the penalty mm. at Villa Park. And it was the whole two legs were just complete knife edge, kind of similar to that Villa Spurs game we were talking about earlier on, just an absolute major battle on the pitch, you know. And 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 unexpectedly, we went through, but it was through the penalty shootout. And Phil King at the end just stood on, on the penalty spot and just put his arms in the air like that. There's pictures of it. <laughs> People just bum rushed him basically you know and the whole picture's like full in like 10 seconds or something and it was it was a oh god it was such a great night did you I get on the pitch no i did, did I you didn't try the, no i didn't no no i was i was always in my sat the mid part of the whole tent and it wasn't really possible you know to go yeah, yeah. my other my other question for you is who is the greatest villa captain ever well i mean it's gotta be it's gotta be dennis mortimer again you know same same thing as the previous question there's there's nowhere else to go really i mean european cup captain captain four i think it was i don't know 10 12 years something like that consistently great teams you know under his captaincy and and, and i'll get again i'll give you an alternative you know I think the early years of the Premier League well the, the, I think it was the first year Villa, Villa finished runners up you know with, with mm-hmm. Kevin Richardson as captain and Ke- Kevin Richardson is never really recognised in the general footballing world but he was a great captain you know mm-hmm. just very understated didn't didn't jump up and down, scream and shout or like visibly bollock people, but just had a, a great way about him, you know. So I would offer him up as the, I suppose, the in some ways lesser alternative, although not in terms of, you know, his captaincy skills. So before we come into the final segment of, of this uh, match review, I just want to look at what happened. You know, there are some of our rivals this week. We did go up to sixth. We're a point behind West Ham in fifth. We've had the same number of games. But we've got superior goal difference. Chelsea are three points ahead of us in fourth. Liverpool and Everton are two points behind us in seventh and eighth. Everton have a game in hand, which, of course, to all our listeners, will signify the importance of that game coming up at Goodison Park in a few weeks. Quickly, lads, going around uh, the, uh, the Tottenham contingent, if we will, and starting. Uh, Luton, uh, do you think uh, our European qualification prospects are looking better? Yeah, they have to. The results went our way to a large extent the last weekend and we didn't capitalise against Arsenal, but winning this was important. It was our game in hand. It does look better for us at Arsenal. West Ham result definitely helped. So yeah, I'm, we're closer to feeling more secure about Europa League place, maybe. I still think Champions League um, mathematically being possible is a long way away. There's a lot of good teams in our way with similar difficult runs um, coming up. I think the freedom of not being in Europe might make a difference for us, as somebody mentioned earlier. Okay, awesome. Top four is kind of all that all that matters, and I suppose mathematically, yeah, it's it's on. But we we have a bad habit at the moment of being very inconsistent, and we'll put in an away win like today, and then we'll go and fuck it up next week. So yeah, it's on. I don't know how it's on because we've been terrible for a long time this season. I'm, I'm not looking at Europa. I, I kind of wouldn't mind giving that a miss again. Milo? I mean, obviously it's gone well for us this weekend. 
The team feels flaky at the moment, and we're going to go on and talk about that. Uh, we've got Everton, Man United and Leicester to play. Uh, yeah, nine games, those are three of them. They feel tough, the way we're playing at the moment. Um, I think you said earlier on, Steph, that if um, Villa had scored in the first 20 minutes, half an hour, we would have crumbled. But we probably would have crumbled if they'd scored in the 50th minute as well. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's there. Yeah, the other teams have got tougher run, run-ins than us. A lot of those clubs are playing each other, which helps. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't I can't help feeling that the next collapse isn't far isn't you know isn't too far away. I tend to agree. I, I can't. Yes, it's nice to be mathematically within range of the top four, but. I don't believe it's going to happen, which is a, a blow to my usual optimistic self. I usually like to believe, but I think we're going to have to, we can only really afford to lose one more game this season, I, I think. And that's a tall order for this club, uh, in my opinion, at this moment in time. Uh, Barney, I'm actually interested if I could drag you in and ask you, yeah, sure. do you do you think that we stand a shot of a Champions League top four place you know, or not? I, I think by virtue of the fact that there's other teams in there who are a lot stronger and more consistent, I think it's just that simple. Mm. You know, I just don't think Spurs will do it. You know, I just I just don't think they will. I mean, you look at Man United, Leicester, Man City, whoever else, you know, off the top of my head now, I can't remember. But I think up against those with their levels of consistency and their ruthlessness, I just don't think it's possible at this point. Mm. You know, yeah, I think Chelsea, I think Chelsea making the managerial change they did actually pretty much yeah. seals that equation. Yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea have looked quite, um, quite formidable, you know, since... Yeah. Um, well, Tuchel, Tuchel to me was a Tottenham manager through and through and would have done great work with us. But ah, there we go. We're just going to come to the end of this section. And what we do here is it's uh, one positive, one negative, as you chaps know. 30 seconds. Uh, I'm going to start awesome. One positive, one negative in 30 seconds. Three, two, one, go. Joe Rodon's uh, emergence as a, as a starting centre-back. The negative, I think, Reguilon uh, injured today. A couple of, couple of bad little nibbles there and yeah we're going to miss him if he's out for a bit Luton um, Jaffet looking more and more like a right back rather than a centre back who's been siphoned into or forced into a right back position I thought he, he looked to dribble today and, and to make runs down the right and um, I thought he, was, he, he made an, a cracking tackle at the end of the game as well where he took, uh, slid through and got the ball so I think he was he was a positive for me Negative was that we're delaying the inevitable and today was good, but um, I need to, I really want my club not to be broken and I still think it is broken. Milo? Lo coming back is my positive. I thought he played well today. That ability to play a number of different positions makes him you know, a really good addition and it's, he, he's, he's good on the ball and he, he helped us get the ball forwards, which you know, we've, we've missed a bit. It takes the pressure off of Ndombele and, uh, and Hoybier as well because he's, he, he's quite happy mixing it up as well. So I thought that would be my positive. Negative, so I probably would have said Reggie on as well. Um, although with, with us it being two weeks to the next game, I think he'll probably be okay. I think maybe the, the negative is I'm not sure that this is... A, yeah, I think this is probably a back four that we're not going to see again. So I, I'd, I'd expect Aldevira to come back in when he's available. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Aurier back in the side as well. So um, I thought we looked okay there. And I've been crying out every single week on this for us to have a settled defence. And I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to say that I've, um, I think we've gone over the positives defensively. I'm going to once again have to go for Lucas as a massive positive. Proven me wrong this season. Uh, he's really been uh, a, a, a spirit bearer for us. He's really just led from the front and led with commitment. Uh, his, his energy and enthusiasm and commitment has been fantastic. And I, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it today. Uh, like yourself, Milo, I agree. The 
negative is that, you know, quite frankly, I, I don't trust this manager to to know uh, what's working. I think that he has a very sort of stubborn, dogmatic idea of what he thinks will work. And even if it isn't working and he sees what does work, like, you know, perhaps this defence today is one worth giving another run out to for the next few games. I don't think he will. And so I agree. Mm. It's sort of a negative based on an intangible, but unfortunately, that's where we are as a, well, that's where we are. At the, and we'll get into that in the next segment. I'm going to give our, our esteemed guest the final the final 30 second roundup here Barney uh, York, you can close us off for this segment if you would and obviously from it's got to from be the from Villa. the Villa perspective yeah course, sure sure perspective. sure so uh, one positive one negative 30 seconds three two one and go. yeah I mean positive I'd, I'd say Matty Cash being back I know, I know he had a really shaky game tonight in, and a shit and a shit haircut and a shit yeah, haircut. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but we won't hold that against him. But yeah, I, I, it's really good to see him back. I mean, people talk about Grealish, but he's one of the linchpins for us, Matty Cash. Been great since he came in from Forest. Mm. Never expected him to be as good as he has been. Mm. And he makes those really lethal runs down the wing, which is somewhere where we've struggled, you know, with good good sort of supply into the box. You know, he's really good at that. So I'm really happy to see him back. Negative, which worries me a little bit and actually depresses me a little bit in some ways, is that Ross Barkley, when he came in, despite all his history, I just thought this is really happening, you know, and I kind of had to pinch myself a little bit and just he looked really great. But it, he's one of these players that needs to be in the mix, you know, and I think since he was since he was injured, since he got injured um, a couple of months ago, I just think he's kind of slipped into the shadows a little bit and you He's very much a visible guy. You can tell by his mannerisms if he's not feeling it. And I just felt when he came on, just something about it, you know. And I was really hoping, based upon the the form when he started for us, he was boom, you know, straight out of the blocks. I just, I just hope that I was hoping we'd sign him on a permanent mm. basis, you know, based upon the the first few games that he played for us. But now I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, you know, and I'm generally not that sort of, I don't flip flop like that. Usually it's not my way, but I, I, yeah, I mean, it's worrying size. I was really hoping that he was going to come good and that we would get him on a permanent, but now I'm, I'm not convinced, you know, so we, Got a 2-0 victory at Villa Park. Uh, much appreciated by us all, I know. I know that we all also completely appreciate Barney Greenway being with us this afternoon or yeah, this of evening, course. wherever My you pleasure. are. Thank you very much, mate. I just want to remind everyone that uh, Barney is the frontman uh, for Napalm Death, whose latest album, Throws of Joy in the Jaws of Defeatism, which actually has uh, captured my thoughts on Spurs many times this season, I think, <laughs> as a title, is available. And uh, it's a shame, actually. You've been robbed of touring this record because of COVID-19. But uh, if I, I absolutely implore anyone who has not seen this band live, you need to go and see them live. I don't care if you don't like the music, go. It is an absolute visceral uh, experience that you will never have had before and you deserve to experience it and uh, Napalm and Barney are warriors uh, for great causes and great great music so thanks again mate really appreciate no it no you're, you're welcome to stick around if you want to hear us now dissect the Dinamo Zagreb uh, period but uh, I suggest that you'll probably want to take Tuddle off to bed at this point yeah mate. I've got a naff <laughs> off mate actually I've got somebody waiting to hear from me so thanks again mate thank you very much Anytime. Nice one. Cheers, guys. All right, mate. Cheers. Thank you. All the best. Ta-da. Great having Barney on. Really great perspective to have. And actually, I thought it was very interesting. One thing Barney said I found very interesting was that he actually liked Jose Mourinho, which which I thought was a fascinating take because obviously we're only used to our own. And it does bring us to 
what I consider to be probably our most important recap of the season with regards to a match that has already been played played. And that was last Thursday, Dinamo Zagreb, when it's fair to say, I can't think of one person I personally knew who had a remotely positive thing to say about uh, Jose Mourinho. Just in case you were hiding under a rock, uh, we went into that tie 2-0 up. It was essentially half time. And we came out of that tie uh, 122 minutes later, having lost 3-0 and uh, consequently got dumped out of the Europa League, which uh, uh, many of us felt was our best chance of both uh, getting into the Champions League and winning a trophy. I mean, did anyone see that coming? To be honest, no, I didn't see it coming. Um, I get shivers now when I still think about it. The guy who got a hat trick had a had a blinder of a game, but we we really brought it on ourselves, I think, in the second half. It was it was as bad as we've been all season. And their coach was in fucking jail. I mean, you know, you, you're talking about a, a team that's going through stuff, right? Um they're quite notorious coach was um jailed for something or other um the week before embezzlement uh, yeah embezzlement. embezzlement i mean yeah nothing nothing small embezzlement and uh, they've had somebody come in and um they've played their skins up and there were three decent goals yeah we should never have lost that i mean it was the most spursy thing that could happen i could see it coming after the fir- after they scored the first as soon as they scored you could see what was going to happen because the, conf- the confidence of the team is shot you know the momentum in the game swung away from us at that point before before the game i was pretty confident and you know all we needed was that the goal and then you know they needed four um but as soon as they scored I, yeah I, I could only see one result I'm going to do something I've actually resisted doing uh, on on this pod so far and I'm really going to stick this one on the manager uh I think before the game he made an atrocious selection error by uh, choosing to start Harry Kane you've got a player who uh, you know had a couple of knocks uh was obviously tired and and relatively ineffective in the derby albeit he did nearly uh, score with that free kick and had a goal disallowed still we'd have normally been looking to rest him in this situation going into and keep him on the bench for that moment when you might slip and let a goal in and then you can bring a Harry Kane on I don't know I I, I saw no logic in that decision and it signaled to me that the manager was 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 indecisive um and was fearful and was more setting us up to try and not lose the game albeit by sneaking an early goal than being confident enough in saying to his second string or you know you can go out there and you can take care of this comfortably you were you were calling for a strong side last sunday on this pod though weren't you the strong side doesn't necessarily mean that harry kane has to start no 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 does no, it? no I, accept, I accept that and, and it was the right and it was the wrong de- for me it was the wrong decision hmm. i was reasonably happy with the lineup when it was announced it was a reasonably strong side i thought it should have been good enough to do the job Again, a bit of a nothingy performance, wasn't it? In that, you know, if if you start like that and you go all out for the first fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, grab a goal, and then you know you've put the game to bed, it makes sense. But we weren't like that. And when I was watching this, it looked like we were just trying to kind of strangle the life out of the game, which again but, I wouldn't be against. But 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 this is the question I have to throw out there, guys. I mean, I have to throw out there when you pick a side that has Kane, Lucas, Delhi, you, you would expect to go on the front foot, but we were anything but front foot. Uh, from the kickoff we were tentative uh, why why would you not bring the game to to the opposition we did not do that if he wanted to sit back and try and sort of strangle the game and pinch a goal on the break that was not the setup was it i don't know am i missing something 60 minutes of lacking of uh, attacking intent was yeah a sign that you're right we 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 were holding out for that one goal that one goal meant that it was game over they needed four two nils a dangerous scoreline they get one back like they did and it was such a good goal their their spirits lifted and we were struggling from then on in 
they looked very nervous for the first game 15 minutes or so I think you know I, I think they were expecting us to go at them and then when we didn't they grew in confidence yeah I think because they weren't playing offensively to start with they were fairly controlled they were slow in their transitions they were passing the ball around and then we weren't pressing either and it was and it was sort of struggling around midfield and, it, and I think immediately those players thought wow okay they need one goal they're not going for us and that gave them something as well uh, the question is we played today completely differently because we were were fairly attacking from the start especially with our transitions that were fairly quick there was a lot of risky riskier passing in the middle of the park especially from the Celso and the Bale even from Hoiberg at, at times um, there was a lot more dribbling in the team I saw the attempt to take on players today and compared again to that game on Thursday um, there was a real hesitance especially in Sissoko um, he was incredibly indecisive everything was defensive so I, I don't know how you can say that the manager didn't instruct them to play that fucking negatively but he ended up kicking us out of Europe to your point about today relate in terms of playing more attacking still for the first 20 25 minutes i thought we were really really i thought we were really scared and timid and so i think that what switched us today was probably having a player like hoiberg available and on the pitch who does manage to keep things ticking and does manage to keep things moving and is a spirit in a sense i don't think he selected a team so a bit like arsenal you know we we're having the same conversation last weekend i don't think he picked a team to try and play defensively i think but i think it's a team absolutely devoid of confidence and when things don't go their their way they start shrinking back I, so I, I, think, I, I agree i think that's the issue I, I, don't, I don't think is what we're training for because if we were training for it we'd be doing it a lot better so I've got to ask you, Orson, with this, and I'll bring you in on this, with this, I mean, and I think this is a very important thing to make a distinction of. I mean, I think Milo's right. I think it is obvious that he has or did put out sides that were attacking on paper. He didn't put out sides that were set up to defend you know, low, low block or even mid block, whatever. He didn't set out sides to defend. So where's the disconnect going on in the managerial team that puts that team out but then cannot give them the confidence to actually fucking play like that? I think Mourinho is showing himself to be a little bit ill-equipped to address poor performances mid-game. You know, there were players having basically low-effort performances. Like, nothing was working for Aurier. He was second best to that left winger. Low energy, poor poor effort all over the pitch. from us. And why Mourinho can't address that mid-match, I don't know. It should be possible, but he hasn't, he hasn't shown an ability to do it at all this season. I'm going to throw something in here before I read uh, the text of Hugo's interview post to Greb, which I think is well worth hearing, uh, even though we've all read it a few times. I think it's worth hearing one more time. And keep this in the back of your minds as something to discuss. Do we think that Jose includes everyone in his squad, even if they're not an immediate part of his plans? Or is he someone who just like, if you're not in his line of vision, you're on the fringes. That's it. You're not part of it. And, you know, until you make yourself part of it in front of me, I'm not really, I'm not going to make any special effort to include you in the group. And, you know, to that point, let me read Hugo's interview and you tell me uh, uh, what you think. We are a club that's full of ambition, but the team at the moment, I just think is a reflection of what's going on in our club. We have a lack of basics, lack of fundamentals. Overall, our performance is in relation to that. I think mentally we should be stronger. We should be more competitive. The way we play is just not enough, not enough. One thing is to come in front of the camera and say I'm ambitious. The other is to show every day in training sessions. It's to show every time on the pitch. You cannot let it down if you play or don't play. To behave as a team is the most difficult thing in football. Whatever is the decision of the manager, you have to follow the way of the team. If you follow the team only when you're in the starting eleven, that causes a big problem for the team because you're going to pay in the one moment 
you're going to pay in your season. Today, I think, is a consequence of that. We had a great moment in the past because we could trust the togetherness that was in the team. Today, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Let's let's pause there. It's a, it's a very long quote. And if you're interested, uh, I can continue reading it later. But I think we've got the, the meat on the bones there of what should be the next thing we discuss. Who is Hugo talking about? Uh, it's obviously just not one entity. You know, where is he going with this? What do we think? The, na- the name that jumps to mind is is Delhi. It's is it is it kind of a bad apple situation where obviously Delhi wasn't a bad apple till Mourinho came along. But we, we've no doubt got a, we've got an unhappy squad in terms of some players aren't happy with the, the minutes they're getting. Like I say, my mind's a bit blank in terms of other people, but Delhi is the one that jumps to I, mind. I don't think we should get into a name game. We've got no idea what's going on in the squad. I think it's counterproductive talking about, speculating on what players could or couldn't be bad apples. Um, I mean, I think if you look at what Hugo says, he's talking about the first team players not being pressed. If you follow the team only when you're in the starting 11, that causes a big problem for the team because you're you're going to pay. I think he's talking about the fringe players not being on the same level as the, the first team and there not being enough pressure for places, not not enough competition for places. And this comes back to my, and, and Luton, coming off the back of this, if you are, I just want to put this segue up. This comes back to the question I posed before I started reading Hugo's quote. Why is that happening? Is that the responsibility of the management and the coaching staff? Sorry, Luton, I cut you off. I just wanted to get that. No, it's fine. I think the important part for me is not Hugo questioning the ability of people who can't make the first 11 because he's got no real right there because players are as good as they are. If he's he's talking about their commitment to the club and to the job that they're paid to do, now that's a really serious accusation. And he's been fairly clever and sort of vaguely diplomatic in the sense where he hasn't said too much and um, Hugo's very well-educated boy. So I think it was, a, it was almost, I now think it was a carefully constructed statement. There was some passion and emotion there, but he knew what he was doing because he didn't slip. Um, he didn't say too much. He didn't throw the manager or any individuals mm-hmm. under, under the bus, but he said enough. And today's performance, him being involved, almost says that it might have worked. Whether Hugo's taken responsibility away from a manager who's inept, I mean, that would be my vi- very biased view on Jose because I don't like him. But Hugo's little speech definitely kicked our players in the right direction there was a real real energy today and I think he might be responsible for it I thought it was interesting what Gary Neville said on the commentary on Sky where he said that he suspected it was something that uh, Larissa probably said in private to the players before as well well it's all speculation I mean and to that point uh, I've got to say you know I think that if we can't discuss who we think he might have been talking about as players then uh, I, I, I don't think that's fair then, then we discuss the manager I mean I think all bets are off when you make when, when a captain gives a quote like that and a very long as you have both pointed out, Milo and Luton, well-planned, well-thought-out quote, I think everything's up for discussion. And so whether yeah. we want to yeah. di- whether, whether we want to discuss whether it was Delhi or whoever he's talking about, that's fine. I mean, for me personally, again, is about the motivation behind why certain players aren't doing it. And that rests for me with the coaching staff. They have I, to do better. I, I agree with that. I just don't think it's particularly constructive playing guess who. No, I mean, you know, it's probably not constructive trying to work any of this out if we're truthful because we don't know. And I mean, my prejudice against Jose tells me that you know he's uh basically walking around there with you know a billy club like basically you know sort of beating people he doesn't like and ruling by fear that could be completely wrong as well in fairness you could argue that daniel levy made him keep deli alley and he clearly did not want deli alley at the club uh so he's been forced to deal and have 
a player that he didn't want. You can also argue he didn't want Gareth Bale in the first place. That's another Levy signing. It's all speculation, but I think it's it's really interesting to try and drill into what Hugo's saying here. And I do think it's a long-term observation. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent to try and explain. So there's enough to say there's um, problems in the dressing room because if you look at the way classical text was um, verified as being accurate or not, what they did was they looked at multiple narrations about a single report. And because if there's one narration, you can never rely on it because the person might be lying. But when you've got multiple narrations reporting back the same thing even if they're from spurious sources at some point you have to consider there's some truth there so we've had the times i think the standard and and Mm. a few different publications and hugo as a combination i think it's a fair deduction to say there's a real split in the dressing room there now again so i'm sort of going to sit in between there's clearly some players are out of favor whether Aurea and Toby both suddenly got ill, which is a slightly unusual thing to happen to two players, but they might well be ill. Whether Doherty and Bale not featuring today, considering Doherty would naturally have started today because he rest- he didn't play on Thursday. And the way Delhi and Joel were sitting there today and Harry Winks has been unhappy all season. So you can name players and you can speculate about it. And it's probably a fairly entertaining thing to do as well um, to think about. And we've all been thinking about it this week. Let's not lie. In terms of what you're saying about, you know, if you can't speculate about the players, you can't speculate about the management. I think that's different because they are responsible for the collective whole. I agree with that. So, 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 so there's we've had a number of performances this season and I, I gave Jose a pass last season because it, you know, he came in midway through the year and obviously there were problems with it. So I gave him a pass last year. But this year we've had uh, you know, a lot, there have been a lot of really kind of mediocre and poor performances uh, with, a, with a very small number of good performances you know, scattered amongst that. I think the same problems have been uh, arising time and time again, which I think you have to pin on the manager and the coaching staff. And then in terms of the question around unhappy players, I would partially put that down to the fact that players get, there's very much a first team and second team set up here. We don't see regular rotation and for you know, for large periods you know certainly at the group stage of the uh, Europa League we had a Premier League team and the Europa League team the lines have got blurred a little bit as we've got to the knockout stages but I think that's not very healthy and if players find themselves in that second team and can't see a route into the first team then they are going to be frustrated so I, th- I think that's a management issue and I think that might be a contributing factor to it Un- unmotivated players are going to be disruptive just to say I couldn't agree more with you and and the over, the overview I have of the entire situation, just to draw a comparison of a situation that was handled rather differently by the previous manager, uh, when Danny Rose was clearly not going to work as a long-term player in a long-term way. The manager found a way to keep him involved and motivated uh, somewhat to at least be a part of the group. I mean, his example has now become sort of legendary of how a player probably should not be treated by any football club, uh, in fairness. Um, So I think that's a great point. And uh, so let's, you know, let's just cut to the chase. You know, (laughs) should he stay or should he go? He should go. Go. Stay, stay until the end of the season. <laughs> is that because you want to give him a chance of getting top four? Uh, or is that because uh, you want to give him a chance of winning the, the Mickey Mouse Cup? Both. Getting a new manager in now just feels like the really the wrong time. And yeah, give him, give him, there's a lot of pressure on Mourinho with that League Cup now just to come out with, you know, this infamous trophy that we need to get, get out of the fans off our backs about. But um, no, I, I think just wait until, wait until the end of the season, wait until May. 
And with that being said, uh, we should wrap this up by saying uh, I think for I think for all of us really, it was a devastating result on Thursday. Uh, utterly, utterly uh, miserable. Um, you know, and and I mean, for me personally, uh, I'm not sure that we come back from that this season in any way. Uh, you know, if he were to get top four now, it would be an absolute miracle of Hail Mary proportions. I'm not expecting it. And I do think a line was drawn in the sand with that performance. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Steph. I think that that was yeah a bit like the Bayern Munich loss under under Pochettino. It doesn't really feel like there's a way back from that. And I, I think really it's a question of you know when he goes, not if now. Um, I think if we'd lost today, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was going tomorrow. I, I, think, I think it's probably more likely to be the end of the season unless things get really sour just because the there aren't suitable you know replacements available what i hope is i think what we need we do need to bring in now is a director of football and we start planning for the summer properly because we've got a, a bit of business to do and uh, you know not not just this summer but over the next couple of windows next couple of summers we've got quite a lot of refreshing the squad to do and we need someone at the helm who can do that and support a manager awesome do you have any uh, any thoughts on this before we close off i think we're going to get top 4 and it's going to be a very difficult decision for levy to get get rid of Mourinho. Well, I think that that's I think that's a perfect place to end because we have the tantalizing balance which is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club of positivity and misery all in one fell swoop because you're absolutely right. If he gets top 4, he's not going anywhere, is he? Okay. Our next game is a full 2 weeks away because of the international break. And Ooh. Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2:05 p.m., we go to Sid James's Park, home of Newcastle United where we'll be hoping to build on the momentum of today's victory. Yeah, well, I just mentioned it is international football this week. Uh, let's hope that, you know, a lot of our players don't make the trip. Uh, I, I really hope they don't go. And I hope they get a good rest. And I hope that Jose is working his tic-tacs out and really uh, prepared to bring us somewhere for the rest of the season. We'll be back next week with a special episode on our managers under ENIC. You will have heard us uh, in previous weeks, or you'll have heard me, I should say, trumpet on about how the Jose Mourinho special is going to be a benchmark and you shouldn't miss it and everything. Well, you are going to miss it. We're all going to miss it because, frankly, we've concluded that there's no real value in doing a pod on Jose at this point. You know, we we really don't know where it's going to go. And I think there's... a pretty toxic atmosphere around him right now so let's just see how that plays out and take a holistic and hopefully more constructive overview of ENIC's hiring of bosses during their time and in the meantime if you're jonesing for some the game is about glory be sure to visit our archives and don't forget we rely on word of mouth to pick up new listeners for this podcast so if you like it please help by talking about the game is about glory on social media or anywhere else that you hang out online or in real life. Remember real life? That still exists. You know, please make sure to subscribe. That's uh, the clearest way that you keep us uh, rolling and roaring. And a big thanks to all of you who have subscribed so far. We're enjoying some really great numbers and it's really good to see. Thank you very much. Keep it going. You can find us on Twitter at GameIsGloryPod. And on Instagram, we are at the Game is about Glory. So please give us a follow and say hello. Thanks very much for joining us this week, lad. And thank you very much, lads. It was uh, a little yeah, uh, off off script, but really enjoyable. I really enjoyed it. Good free flow of this one. So thanks very much, Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Good night. And see everyone uh, next week.